0: Hello, Kansas Reflector listeners. Thanks for tuning in this week. I'm reporter Rachel Meepro and today's story is a podcast from a Monday, April 17th trip to Wichita with Editor-in-Chief Sherman Smith. We spoke with four members of Progeny, which is an organization working to transform the juvenile justice system. Their goal here in Kansas is to close the remaining state youth prison and to shift power to communities most impacted by these systems. We spoke with Marquita Atkins, who's the executive director of Progeny's campaign team, along with Joseph Presley, Desmond Brian White, and Tyler Williams. Thanks for listening. So, I mean, again,
1: what have you seen this legislative session? So, of course, you know, they we did not get passed to the Senate for the House Bill uh, twenty seventy five, mm-hmm. um, which is our fines and fees. Um, Want to eliminate some of the fines and fees or adjust the way that they impact. Uh, young people um a bill that stood out to me and i think they just did reform was house bill 2021 Mm -hmm. um there was some good stuff in there and then there was some scary stuff in there that needed to be taken out like um holding kids and uh incarcerated for longer times without them going to court first that kind of stuff um so I was happy that they uh, they did a little reform on that bill and, and, and changed the language but then they put it into another bill mm. and so we have to follow that language because they're trying to slip it in any way that they can and we really need to get out of I've been thinking about this for the past two days especially what, what happened to that young man in Kansas City mm. what is the message we're sending to young people when we're working so hard to put them in situations that are not healthy for them like, what, what is the message that we're sending that our kids are expendable mm-hmm. and they're not? Um, and so I, I, I constantly go back to uh, restorative justice. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to find ways to keep our kids out of jail instead of trying to do legislati- le- legislation that puts our kids in jail for longer periods of time.
0: And you've just heard constantly this legislative session, like lawmakers saying, oh, um, what was it, 113? whatever the one passed in 2016 was a reform Senate Bill, yeah. Senate Bill uh, 367 oh 367 yeah. yes mm. oh. so what we've heard consistently is that oh it didn't work it's not effective we need to reform this reform I mean like do you think they're doing enough with that or um...
1: I think that when it comes to things that our young people need that are transitioning out of the system mm. um some of those things went away with three, Senate Bill 367 right. um they need those cushions back. But I believe that Senate Bill 367 works. Um, I believe that the reform that they're talking about, again, is about putting kids in back in jail. Um, and we don't want kids in jail. And they act like they have no place to put kids when young people get in trouble. Um, but the deal is, is that we don't want it. That's prisons is prison working for these kids. You know, we don't, we want to move away from that. And so every time I see people go up and try to demolish that bill or change that bill, it makes me sick to my stomach because our kids are not throwaways. Like mm. we need to be doing better. And I want you guys to speak with me, yeah. Cause you guys have been impacted, yeah. <clears throat>
2: you repeat the question I just want to make sure I'm answering it correctly
0: oh yeah we were just talking um, I don't know if you've seen it but at the very beginning of the session a bunch of lawmakers Mm -hmm. were like saying stuff about SB I'm gonna 367 yeah I know I keep mixing up the numbering on that but they kept saying like this is not effective we need to do more we need to do like stricter measures that sort of thing Mm -hmm. I mean what have you seen in your own personal experience with that
2: you know when I think about the money that could be invested in Mm -hmm. the community I feel like it's not being, you know, used effectively to create that impact. Um, you know, to my knowledge, there's like $40 million in that fund. And as I look around the community as things that could restore a youth's um, future, I don't see many of those resources, especially to those that need them the most. And I think, you know, as far as legislatures to want to change that bill in uh, something that's going to further take, I think that that's, you know, Immoral and wrong, and you know we're not actively thinking about the futures of you know the youth, which will be you know the leaders upcoming. So if we're not preparing them and putting them in a position to be um, most effective in every way, you know what what does that lead the future? And um, being able to go into Pika and testify over fines and fees, that gave us a firsthand look about the legislature as it is today. And, you know, being able to go up there and testify, put in my mind in as well as some of the youth leaders through conversation about what it would be like to be in the, the other position. What would, it like, what would it be like for us to step up and be legislators, and, you know, just continue to learn more about the process of policy and even, you know, changing policy as well. So that's my vision of like legislature this year. And I'm just looking forward to how we can um, continue to push this bill. And, you know, it got to committee and kind of got stopped. Um, and that was heart-wrenching in itself because we put in so much work and so much research to prove this is a proven um, issue in our community and this is a proven way to fix it. But to not even get a chance to have that voted on, um, I don't know, that hurt.
1: Yeah, that's the finding B in a house bill that you're touching on, and with the Senate Bill 367 too. I think that um, oh, I had a thought in my head: uh, having accessibility to the funds. So those RFPs when they go out, I don't think that like small nonprofits, grassroots organizations know how to get to that funding. And I think they also complicate it. Sometimes doing these these grants and getting these fundings can be complicated. And if you're a small boots to the ground organization, uh, we're blessed to have a, we all we, we write grants. Mm-hmm. But when you're a small boots to the ground organization, and you're you're supposed to think in the mindset of the grant grantor, which is you know rich and has money and has backing, mm-hmm. sometimes you don't understand the language that they're speaking in. And when you're boots to the ground, the outcomes, because it's data driven, when you're thinking about outcomes, a lot of the outcomes that you do in this work can't be put into data the way that they think. How do you quantify waking up in the middle of the night to go pick a kid that's walking up down the middle of the street? How do you quantify, you know, putting somebody in your house because they have no other place to go? How do you quantify that? And so I, I keep thinking to myself, and I, I watched that session mm-hmm. when they were all, you know, testifying about <laughs> Senate Bill 367. And it just made me sad. It, because our kids, too often, we want to address the wound instead of tending to the infection and it, it's systemic issues that impact our young people the school to prison pipelines, the trafficking that is heavy in, in Kansas, the foster care to prison pipelines that exist. We are not attending to the infection that exists in our in our country in general, but we want to put a Band-Aid on it by sending our kids to jail, and our wound is seeping, and when those kids come back out, most of the times they have more damage than when they went in.
3: So It seemed like oh, so much of the testimony about juvenile justice reform, and it, particularly with the foster care system, was about... The danger that this presents to workers in the foster care system. It seemed like there was never really an emphasis on how do we help the kids, rather than the workers. It, exactly, the problem. The and he,
1: problem. he can speak on it. A, you so just uh, completed a documentary about the foster care to prison pipeline. Cool. Um, so, personal
4: experience. Yeah. yeah. So when I think about that, I said we're we're not doing enough. Clearly, what we've been doing hasn't been working. You know, so we're spending more money to send these people, to, these kids, to jail. Then we, are, then we could be using it in, a, in another way. So we're just not doing enough. The old way isn't working. Let's try a new way. That's what I say. So.
1: And when we think about accessibility to mental health, like literally it's hard for young people or anybody to get accessibility from into mental health right now. So we wanna put more money in jail because the kid, I mean into the jail system because the kids are acting out instead of putting more money into mental health and making sure that they get the services they, that they need to heal. And when you're thinking about a kid being bounced around from house to house to house, my family fosters, my brother's a foster care father, you know, and I see what these babies go through. A kid is going to act up. They're going to act up. And so we need to do better by, again, healing them instead of throwing them in jail. That's not going to help them, you know. And so those babies need to be protected just as much as those workers
4: and kind of, she kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, how they're trying to defend the workers more than the kids. Mm. That's kind of when we're on the task force. Mm-hmm. the the task force.
1: Playing hot potato. They're,
4: they're not. They're not accepting the blame. They're. They're sending it here. Oh, it was their fault. It was their fault. They're not accepting the blame. And then we have a R.P. Cedric Lofton. You know, yeah. we have him. You know, they sat on his back for over thirty minutes. You know, that's terrible. I mean,
1: somebody has to take responsibility for what went, What went on and not having compassion for the fact that he had just lost his grandmother, you know? So it's just, we're not, whenever they get up there and they speak about these young people, it's dehumanizing. And I think it's intentionally de- dehumanizing. And when we think about the data and from 2010 to 2020, uh, crime in, in youth or youth incarceration and crimes, you fell, fell by 50%. Mm-hmm. So when they're talking about this stuff now and you hear it, it's almost like a trigger, you know, kids are doing more crime. Kids are doing more crime. Are they really? Because the data doesn't say so. And we were actually just talking about the Lofton case
3: in the mm-hmm. car over. She off. came up from Louisiana last year, so I gave her like the thirty-second mm-hmm. version. If you guys could talk just a little about what actually happened with the Cedric Lofton case. So, yeah.
1: Cedric Lofton was a seventeen-year-old, a foster care kid um, that was having in, in the midst of a mental health crisis, mm-hmm. and so um, his. Uh, foster dad called uh, DCF for his worker um, didn't know what they can do and I think the worker was out of town and so the instruction was to take him to the hospital and so they called 911 because they couldn't get him to come in the house he, he, he just wanted to sleep outside um, they called 911 and at first you know the officers were trying to course him to come um, and as soon as he resisted or touched one of them then it escalated to him going to jail and so instead of taking him to the hospital, like they were instructed, they took him to JDF. Um, and then at JDF, um, he, you know, he's upset, you know, and he was calm when they put him in the waiting room part. He was totally calm. He has to go to the bathroom. And what I don't think people realize, uh, again, the humanity, the human being workers, when they're working with these kids, they talk slick to these kids. They say crazy stuff to these kids. They do and so we don't really know what he was reacting to or what they said to him because there's no audio on the tape and so he started you know tossing stuff around and they tackled him and sat on him for 30 minutes and then they said he started snoring so they thought he went to sleep they knew damn well that kid didn't go to sleep but it was a death row um and he died and uh, there was no prosecution, there was nobody held accountable for his death, and they created this task force so that we can assure that it wouldn't happen again. But, like I said a thousand times on that task force, no matter what we do for the future, it will not undo that this child is dead, and nobody was held accountable.
4: You also have to think about it you take a few steps back. Um, he seemed to be fine before the police came, he was so mm-hmm. you know, police come in there. They're typically demanding. You know, they want you to follow their instructions. You know, that probably they probably said the wrong word and probably triggered them. Like you need to go in the house or something. You know, you, that, they're they're taught to control the situation to come in. You know, they're you know they're dealing with robbers and murderers all day. They they didn't assess the situation and hey, this is a kid. He's been through this. His grandma just died. This this and that. This is what's going on. You know, they just came and immediately lied on him,
1: said he was on K2. Oh, the, the, media, the media. So when they put it out into the news, they said he was on drugs, which was a lie. Um, they, it came out on a task force that one of the officers went and a, a questioned on the paperwork, um, which would immediately, if they marked it, would have, he would have gone to the hospital. Um, and so they switched the answer so that he would stay in jail. Um, nobody was held accountable for that. Um, it's just tragic. Um, and he it was, what, a week before his 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. So he's he probably, was about to be out, out of the system.
0: Wow. So, I mean, I know there's a task force now, but could this happen again today? Are there any like, meaningful measures
1: in place now? Or? They're trying to change some policies, but a lot of the stuff hasn't hit yet. And absolutely, it can happen again. Do I think they would be more careful? Mm-hmm. I think they would want to. <laughs> but... This, I mean, we see it happen every day all across the country, <coughs> how, sorry, how, how um, youth of color are treated. Yeah. Let's just be real. Uh, <coughs> it's devaluing. And, and, and your crime is your skin color.
4: One thing that stood out to me was um, Linda mm-hmm. Martins. She So right after the incident, she, she retired. retired. Magically, yeah. she's just retired. Yeah. Um, after only like 16, 17 years, you know, she's young. So that kind of stood out to me. I'm like, why is she retiring? Something, you know, usually what they say when there's smoke, there's fire. Right. So, I mean, I assume there's something, you know, after that, things came out about the lying, not telling the truth, changing answers and things like that. You know, when they said that he was on drugs and the the coroner comes out and says that there was no drugs in the system, that, 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 that all stood out to me. So there's smoke there's fire so there's something under there
0: so that was 2019
4: right (laughs) that was just that was just last year that was last year yes last year yeah i keep reading we're in 2023
0: (laughs) but yeah so we've just keep hearing like a lot about you know we have to do something there's a problem but has the legislature actually done anything you think
4: no not not particularly yet so one thing i was looking forward uh to them changing was the use of force because on that video, said the Lofton was in his cell. All they needed to do was just close the door and allow him to beat on walls and get that frustration out. Mm-hmm. Instead, you know, they, they left, they opened the door and went in there and restrained him in the cell. So that's, that's, I'm looking for that use of force policy to be changed.
0: And then I think one of the things that they get through was, um what was it? They did a word change and then they also, did they extend the detention limits or is that just... I think that was voted on, but I'm not sure if that passed. I need to
1: yeah, look. Yeah, I have to, I, I I can't answer that safely right now, so I would have to look and see. Yeah. Do you think
3: it's significant that the people like us who follow this closely for a living, people like you who follow this because you have a stake in it, can't keep track of what they're doing when they move things around nine By, times in the final ex- four
1: it, Again, it's the same thing like we were just talking, hot potato.
3: It's intentional, right? It's, it's intentional.
1: Course. It's It's... I want to no, please. (laughs) It's it's, it's intentional to me. It's intentional um, to make the community feel like they're doing something. But will something actually be done? And then how for how long? You know, if they actually pass any of the things that we're supposed to be coming up on another meeting soon. Yeah. Yeah. If they uh, if there's a actually a.
4: One thing that stands out to me me for uh, no, you got
1: it. It's a website,
4: yeah. One thing that stands out to me is um, Kansas is one of the only states that privatizes their um, foster care system, Mm -hmm. so I think that's another thing that that needs to change because we're continuing trying the old way. Let's try something new. You know, why is our uh, foster care system privatized? You know, Mm -hmm. let's let's get that. Let's change that Um, because you know now DCF can point fingers you know if it wasn't privatized they could they would have to take responsibility now they can say oh it was um what's the saint francis they say oh it was saint francis's fault oh it's youthville's fault you know let's unprivatize it so we can put some responsibility on some people you know we're one of the only states that does that and
0: we keep hearing that um juvenile and crisis intervention centers that's the big solution there's a lot of funding for it i mean is that a good idea would that
4: that's that's what i want to see mm. i want to see that because you know it's it's time to to try something new it's trying it's time to you know let's 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 um let's be for community let's get something in the community
1: to help these kids so they have this dashboard
0: mm-hmm. oh that was really
1: oh, yeah, useful was, yeah. mm-hmm. community. i forgot all about that one actually
3: because they said they were still working on it mm-hmm. or it was still like a something Tazmin, you mentioned the money that they have in this account. And I think previously they actually swept like $25 million out of that into the general fund. And the whole point of the original bill was to take all the money we're saving from putting kids in jail previously and use this on programming. And then they never allocated any uh, And I think this may be the first time that they're actually using some of that money. Mm-hmm. You know, it almost seems like this was set up to fail. I think right. it was
1: <clears throat> and I think I think Progeny I'm going to I think Progeny raising awareness around Senate Bill 367 and Kansas Appleseed raising awareness around 60, Bill, Senate Bill 367 is a lot of the reason why they are starting to release some of those funds because people are paying attention to it now you know uh, Progeny wrote a whole uh, report on around Senate Bill 367 um, it's, it's on our website. And what we went in and interviewed uh, young people across, this, uh, across the city um, to see what would they do with this money if they had this money. And we turned it into a report um, that says this is what young people are telling you. This is what they need and this is what they want to feel safe, to be happy in this community. And so it's really super important that that money be accessible to be able to move so they can't say it's not working like Desmond was talking about earlier.
4: Yeah. So like, like you said, it's set up to fail. I feel like they're doing this just to say, oh, look, we tried. It, it didn't work. But they're, they're not trying hard enough. They're just doing just a little bit, you know, and just, put that out there. just
2: get at it. You know? mm-hmm. I like to, you know, share like just on the innovative programming that organizations like DI and Progeny are doing. For instance, Work to Life, which uses spoken word and music to help battle mental health. A lot of times it's hard for youth to talk to counselors, so we're using um, our God-given abilities to give in platform to express themselves in an authentic manner, and, you know, that's self-care, you know, taking the time and being able to uh, work through your emotions, and that's important because it's, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, those are important times, and your body is changing, your mind is changing, so... Being able to have that platform um, has shown to be impactful, and I'm looking forward to um, where that program will go as well. But um, again, that takes um, the support of um, those that say they want to invest in youth. Um, These are good programs to do so, as well as... Um, Me and Yusuf are a part of a program called Black to the Future where we're looking to implement a comprehensive behavioral um, fund that will um, invest in a youth center that will provide the mental health resources um, in activities and things that youth need when they need it the most. You know, and we hope to put that through the city, county, and state um, as far as in the budget. But again, these are, um, we think about Senate Bill 367 and how they say that they want to um, build these centers across Kansas. And we believe that this is a um, way that, you know, legislatures can get behind and if not, at least give their input to where to see how we can help create this in our communities.
1: And speaking on average, it's, what, 125000 to $140,000 uh, a year to incarcerate a child. Um, so who benefits? You know, if you're making $125,000 to $140,000 a head, it benefits them to keep kids incarcerated. It benefits them to stand up and say, this is the reason why we need kid jails. It benefits them to say, this is the reason why kids need to be in jail longer. You see what I'm saying? And it costs on average, what, $10,000, $12,000 a year to educate a child. That's how much money they put into the school system. But in jail, it's hundreds, of thousands of dollars. That is
3: crazy. Okay. you come up with these programs. You talked about writing grants. It's, it's just not plausible to me that the state of Kansas cannot figure out how to spend this money
1: it's a choice that they're making it's a choice it's a choice we when i whenever i listen, like i said earlier when i'm listening to them talk and you hear it on the news you hear when they get up there and speak crime our kids are doing more crime our kids are crime kids and cry kids are more violent you know but i ask myself who did they learn it from what world are we giving them and then we want to hold them accountable for what we're pushing down their throats Our kids have accessibility to things that we never had accessibility to when we were younger. So I've said this in the past, but it's like, when I was a kid, I knew what was going on in my neighborhood. I might have known a little bit about what was going on, maybe around the city. I knew what was going on around the state. If I, we talked about it in school. And on a world level, it was cognitive dissonance. I didn't, I really didn't know what was going on around the world. Our kids get all of that in a scroll. In a scroll, unless
4: What, uh-huh. what, what officer was it that called the kids super criminals uh, a couple years back when we had that um, oh. that meeting? Me... He was calling them super criminals. It was an article was that it came a out, pump, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Wichita Police. Yeah. 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 It was. Um, I know Wilson was leading that, um, that, that 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 meeting, but I'm not sure if he was the one who called them super criminals.
1: Yeah, that
0: was offensive. So, are we still seeing that same narrative now with lawmakers?
4: I feel like that's how they view kids. They view youth as super criminals. So that's what they—that's what they call these there young, it is. these young kids coming up. It was in our
1: article, January twenty fourth, twenty twenty one, and it was. Let's see. It was kind of sad when I seen which officer it was because I've sat on a panel with him before around kids. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't Wilson, was it? mm -mm. One police official in an interview with the Eagle last year said he worries that relaxed treatment of low-level juvenile offenders is turning out a generation of super criminals who don't fear the justice system because their actions have no meaningful comp. Um, It was Salcido. Salcido? Which was surprising.
0: Okay, so we've talked a lot about, like, legislature reactions. Um, what are you seeing right now, you know, just through community work and all that? Like, are kids reacting to this sort of thing? Are they aware of, like, what lawmakers are saying?
1: I know that young people in our space are um, because <laughs> that's, I mean, we, they focus on policy. They focus on um, things that are going on around them, and we want young people to have an understanding of how systems work. Um, by design, DI is based for young people to understand. Um, Through civic engagement, through entrepreneurship and lack of investment in communities and, you know, the juvenile justice system. We choose those three things because they impact marginalized communities the hardest and poor communities the hardest. And so um, I know young people are having the conversations. They're aware uh, of what's going on. I don't think they necessarily pay attention to the legislator right now um, unless they're in a space where they are talking about it or whatsoever. But I think it's super important that we get more kids engaged around this kind of stuff because it's impacting them. It's impacting them in, in, in major ways. And mm-hmm. so they should have a voice and they should be aware. They should understand why they don't get diversion. They should understand, you know, why if they take a plea deal, you know, why they can't, uh, they should not take a plea deal um, because you can't change that. And it impacts them for the rest of their life. And most of the times, parents choose to take a plea deal with their kids because they can't afford an attorney. And the public defender recommends that they take the plea deal because it's the easy way out and they don't have to go to, uh, go to court over it. They take a plea deal, they're done. And, and it's sad because that one plea deal to keep them out of jail is most likely going to sign them up to be in jail at some point in their life because then they're on probation and then they put these kids on probation. Five-year probations. So in five years, you're expecting a kid to not make a mistake. Let's be real. If
3: you don't pay the fines and fees and you stay on probation perpetually. And you, you stay <laughs> on,
1: it's, it's a cycle. Uh, um, one of our youth leaders was on an ankle monitor last year that he could not afford. And they, he got arrested and put in jail because he was not paying for his ankle monitor. And as soon as they, he got out of jail, they put him right back on the ankle monitor that he could not afford
0: wow if he ever
1: wants to talk no. that is truly not surprising I guess you it's, it's how they disrupt these young people's lives over and over again and expect perfection from these young people that have made mistakes and usually when these young people are going back to jail it's not because they committed a crime it's because they did something on their probation that they deemed a violation whether they couldn't make it to their parole officer whether they, um, what, you were driving and you didn't have a light over your tag. Mm-hmm. That cost him three months in jail. He lost his job. He had just got a job at Spirit. Mm-hmm. Lost his job, lost his, ha- his apartment, lost everything.
4: Yeah, what they do is they, um, they, they'll sit, sit you in there for like a, a short period of time, and then they'll come back out, they'll restart your probation. And also give you a longer period of time because, you know, they can, like, for example, they can, they can suspend your probation and make you do like a month and say, oh, are you ready to come out and do what you're supposed to do? Then they restart your probation and they can, they can do that again how many times they want to until, until your sentence, until they run out of time and can no longer incarcerate you.
0: I'm going to ask Sherman's favorite question right now. Um, if you could wave a magic wand, terrible word, <laughs> which makes it sound so stupid. But if you could wave a magic wand and you know, be in charge of reforming the system, what would you want? Like, What would you ideally have the legislature to do to? But you haven't
3: talked at
0: all.
2: I would say more investment
3: in uh, youth mediation services, uh, restorative-based practices. Um, as, like, the first option for youth.
2: Like, Missouri model, Colorado. Bring something like that to Kansas.
0: What is that model like? What would that look like?
2: Uh, Victim-offender mediations. Mm. um, Having community investment, not only just outside, but also in the mediation
3: and problem-solving.
0: Gotcha.
4: No, sorry. <laughs> 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 I'm sure you guys have lots of thoughts. We we talk about it all the time in our mm-hmm. in our, our Black to the Future um, uh, cohort. Um, we we want to see we want to like you said the Colorado model. We want to mm-hmm. take after the California model. You know they're they're no longer incarcerating youth and using fines and probation and all that to hold it over their head. You know they're trying a different model. So I will watch closely for for what they're doing. You know seeing how it's working.
0: And you said you were in that meeting, too? Oh,
2: but yeah, so, so it's a program, and, you know, what I like to see change is to see that big investment in the community. You know, as we walk, like, as we look around right now, we're more so on the north side of town, right? But if I walk down these streets, like, there's nothing that gives me a sense of pride for my community. And I think that's important as we're bringing up a new generation to have pride in the community, because if you don't, you'll disrespect it. But I think that's a culture shift. And although that starts with the community as well, we need the state to be there as well, because we we don't want to be isolated inside of our own community. Um, We're already are that, you know, just being an outlier in Kansas. So anything outside the box that, you know, helps the community will be seen as radical. And I believe that we have to continue to invest in the community to be able to educate ourselves about how to change the situation that we're in. And that comes through investment, that comes through time, that comes through money, that comes through education. And I think collectively, um, with the right knowledge and energy, like that's how we begin to see change. but. If we're not aware of what we need to know and be able to show up into Topeka and create that change, um, things will happen as they have been happening. And I believe it's safe to say that what's been happening right now isn't working. So we most definitely have to be able to implement new ideas and implement the youth voice um, into that story as well to figure out what the future should look like. Yeah.